last week I asked you this question. Uh, do you believe in an unseen world that can't be seen with physical eyes? How many of you believe that? There's a spiritual world that can't be seen by our physical eyes. Let me just ask you, how many of you have encountered that spiritual world just to make sure everybody's not whacked out and weird like me. I thought I was the only one. How many of you have seen bits of the supernatural world with your natural eyes? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you say, well, what's that about? Well, you know, that sounds kind of weird, kind of mystical. Hmm, hmm. How can we even know that there is actually a spiritual realm? If we can't see it, how do we know that it's really there. And if we can't see it, should we believe in it? Do you believe in stuff you can't see? Do you believe in stuff you've never experienced? Okay. Hmm. Many of us today, particularly in the Western church, don't want to deal with a world we can't see when the world we can see is filled, enough, filled with enough trouble of its own. Would you agree with that? i got my hands full just living in this world. Why should I be concerned about the spiritual realm and what's happening in there? And sometimes we have a tendency to act like that two-year-old toddler that pulls her blankie up over her head because she's nice and safe in there, actually believing that no one can see her because she can't see them. Right? <laughs> and it's nice and safe in there. Yet the unseen world often influences, it can manipulate, it can even control our physical world. It is constantly breaking in to our world, the supernatural. And so as Jesus' followers, the Bible teaches us we are in a spiritual battle on a daily, sometimes a moment-by-moment basis. Here's how Peter would say it. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we understand then that there is a spiritual battle. There is an enemy who is attempting... To destroy us. That's the reality of Scripture. Now, our spiritual battles then have several fronts. And actually, I could stop with the first one. We could just close in prayer. Uh, For most of us, the hardest battles are fought within ourselves. Inside ourselves. And we can talk about spiritual warfare. I can give you prophecies and demonic stuff and all this. Uh, When the battle is really right here for our own soul... And it comes in through the mind. We don't need to go any further than that. We don't need to understand how to do battle in the heavenly realms when we have difficulty enough just existing day by day in our own lives. So let's not get too far ahead here, okay? Getting a grip on the war within us, this constant struggle between what the Bible calls the flesh and the spirit can be the hardest, most exhausting battle of all. And that we're all dealing with. Here's what Paul said in just one verse, Galatians 5.17. The sinful nature wants to do evil. How many of you have a sinful nature? Look at the person next to you. Do they have a sinful nature? Together all God's people said. (laughs) Right? We're agreed on something. Yes, we all have a sinful nature. That is the truth of Scripture. Now, what about this? Which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Now, does everybody have the Spirit of God in them? (laughs) Does everybody have the Spirit of God in them? Are you creating the image of God? Is God in you? Is God in everyone? 
Okay, just asking. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly, constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Make sense? You, as a Jesus follower, have the Spirit of God as a deposit of your salvation inside of you. You are made new in Christ. Therefore, the old is gone, the new has come, Right? And so you've got the sinful nature, which you inherited from Adam, thank you very much. And you have this, this sin nature, right? When we come to Jesus, we are born from above or born again. The Holy Spirit then uh, is operational and brings uh, to life the dead capacity within us to love God. And now you've got these two forces going like this often depicted in a cartoonish kind of way with a good angel on this shoulder and a bad angel on this shoulder, and they're kind of like, yeah, that, 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 inside your head, and away we go. So we can close right now because this is where the battle is really raging inside every single person in this room. Okay? Spiritual warfare. Let's break it down to its simplest component. It's going on within each of us right now. Okay, we get that. We talk a lot about that here, right? But I want to take a little further step. Striving to walk closely with Jesus can really tick off the enemy. It upsets him. If we have this enemy and he's going around looking for someone to chew up and spit out, right? Uh, saying, hey, I really want to follow Jesus hard, is going to get his attention. Makes sense, right? He's going to leave alone the people who are just kind of sliding and gliding. They're, they're lukewarm. They're apathetic. You've got no business with them. They're doing their own thing. They're no threat to his kingdom. But if you really want to follow Jesus hard, then things change. Attacks then, not from within, with our own battles going on, but now attacks begin to come from the outside, from all angles, our circumstances, family, even people we love the most that are closest to us. All of a sudden, stuff begins to erupting. Events happen. Doubts come from within us. The enemy comes to discourage and to destroy. That's his job. Do you understand, as a Jesus follower, you've got the enemy breathing down your neck. He wants to destroy you. He wants to wipe you out. He wants to split your marriage. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to take your reputation and throw it in the mud. He wants you leveled if you want to follow hard after Jesus. And he means business. He's not messing around. And he's going to do everything he can to destroy the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that you might have. And what kind of life? Abundant life. And let's not forget, the reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Right? As we've been learning. So, there's no doubt that spiritual warfare is real. Jesus' followers have a real enemy in Satan. And his demons. Paul describes that in Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is a freaky kind of passage, wouldn't you agree? Who's the real enemy? Who's the enemy? The enemy's the enemy. 
Is your wife the enemy? Your kids? Michael says sometimes. <laughs> when she's operating in the sin nature only, right? Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. That is not the basis of spiritual warfare. And we often personalize this and put faces on it and people in our lives. That's not what's happening at all. We're missing the point. We're missing the point. But our real battle against, is against evil rulers, against evil spirits that are everywhere. Hmm. Now, here in Ephesians 6, which I believe is the most profound and important Bible passage when it comes to this topic, so get familiar with it, Paul teaches us about spiritual warfare and spiritual armor. We're not going to talk about armor. That's not the intent of this message this morning. But he mentions them. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace on our feet, and the shield of faith to extinguishing all the flaming darts of the evil one. He talks about that here in Ephesians chapter 6. But then he concludes his teaching about warfare with this interesting perspective on prayer in which he says, pray in the spirit at all times. We looked at this last week. Pray in the spirit at all times. That is the word kairos. We've been talking a lot about kairos lately. This isn't uh, the linear time. In other words, spend all day, every day, 24-7 in prayer. No, he's saying going from kairos to kairos as God is breaking into our natural world supernaturally. Pray because God is working in those moments. So uh, he goes on to say, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. All believers everywhere. As we mentioned this morning already, we've got to break out of the selfish one-lane, one-mindset kind of praying that's all about me and what I want and what I need. Pray for all believers everywhere. When's the last time we prayed for somebody else on the other side of the world? All believers everywhere, Paul says. Be persistent in this. So those with a Jewish background in Ephesus understood According to Jewish culture and tradition, there were certain times that a Jew prayed during the day. Boom, boom, boom. But now he expands that to say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, I'd like to elevate that to an attitude of continual prayer. Pray on all occasions for people everywhere. Now everything, he says, we experience on a daily basis then becomes a kind of prayer. Why did that just happen? Why did I just think that? Why these circumstances? What do they all mean? These become then a prayer offering back to God. God, where are you in this? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to see here? What are you communicating to me? I I need to listen carefully. Because this becomes then a kairos moment, which I sense God is breaking into my natural world, saying there is a supernatural world, both good and evil. Now, One of the most powerful weapons we have at our disposal is prayer. It brings God's will, Scripture teaches us, to earth and allows us to live supernaturally in a very natural world. And this is a tough, tough time to be a pastor because we're so inclined to everything is about the natural world, what we can see, what we can experience. But the call is to live beyond that, to live supernaturally in a natural world. Prayer is that avenue by which that can happen. Now, people often talk about feeling frustrated that their prayers never make it past the ceiling. Oh, my prayers bounce off the ceiling. I kind of chuckle when I hear that because there's nothing biblical about that. That's feeling-based thinking. (laughs) If there is such a thing, in America there is. 
If the Spirit of God is present right here and right now, in fact, the Bible says there's not a place we can go to get away from Him, right? I don't have to worry about my prayers bouncing off the ceiling because the Holy Spirit's on this side of the ceiling. And He'll never leave this side of the ceiling. So if I'm saying, oh, my prayers that seem to bounce off the ceiling, uh, what's really happening here? What's really happening here? God is on this side of the ceiling. He's right here with us. They're not bouncing anywhere. It's a feeling that we have. Huh. Huh. He's right here. He's not out there. He's not up there. He's right here with us. Now, prayer connects the dots between our very real spiritual world and our physical existence day to day. Prayer is that means by which that happens. Now, you've got to stay with me here. So let's look at some terms we often use in the church that need defining. Okay? And I'm not bashing anything here. I just want clarity. And I'm all about, as you well know, developing a common language so we all have an understanding when we use terms. So when I say the term prayer warrior, prayer warrior, what is that? Well, that's not in the Bible, but what is it? Well, it's a Jesus follower who is committed to interceding for others by engaging in spiritual warfare against satanic forces through prayer. This isn't just your, your kind of, oh, now I lay me down to sleep kind of thing. No, uh, this is a Jesus follower who I believe is not only committed but called by God into this role of interceding for others by praying for people everywhere, as Paul says, by engaging in spiritual warfare against satanic forces through prayer. There's a lot out there about this. And I guarantee you, prayer warriors uh, come in all shapes and sizes. Okay. You want to see a prayer warrior? Right here is a prayer warrior. This woman is committed to doing battle using prayer against satanic forces. She is skilled in the art She has studied, she has surrendered to Jesus continually in her life so that she can be a vessel. Right from her wheelchair, she prays for all believers everywhere. And she is committed to doing this. This is a prayer warrior. Oftentimes, I found prayer warriors are way in the back, way in the shadows. Many of them don't want to be out in front because it's really awkward where they do battles in the closet. They close the door. They're seeking God. They're calling out to God. They're crying out to God. Powerful. Powerful. They're prayer warriors. They're prayer warriors sitting right among us right now. So then we talk about warfare prayer. What is warfare prayer? Using prayer as a weapon to do battle against an unseen spiritual enemy who is absolutely determined to defeat us. So if you're following along your notes, using prayer as a weapon to do battle against an unseen spiritual enemy who is determined to defeat us. Okay? That's warfare praying. That I'd like to see our church grow in because it's reality, the spiritual battle that we're facing. Now, let me mention a few things that warfare praying is not. Okay? Just to make sure we're understanding together. All right? Here's a few things warfare prayer is not. Warfare prayer commonly includes many I statements, such as I declare, I decree, I bind, I overrule, I smash, I rebuke. I get real cautious when I hear this kind of praying. 
Why? The prayer is the acting agent, and there is always the danger of praying, my will be done rather than thy will be done. I do this. I command this. There's nothing wrong with praying boldly, with praying fervently, passionately, as long as we remember who is in charge, who is not in charge. Me. You. He is. We're not. Pretty simple, right? So when I hear this kind of kind of praying, I'm like, mm, careful, 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 careful. I can't do anything, but I can do all things. That's right, through Christ. Secondly, some warfare prayers recommend speaking directly to Satan. Satan, I, uh, whatever, right? Careful, careful, careful. The Bible never tells us to rebuke Satan. Never, never, never. Or to speak to him or his demons directly, exclusively, anyway. Never in the Bible. The rebuking of Satan is done only by the Lord in Scripture. Okay? You want evidence of that. Even the archangel Michael. Now, what's an archangel, by the way? A warrior angel. Absolutely. Very different than cherubim. This is the warrior class. These guys are exclusive. Even the archangel Michael did not himself dared to condemn, rebuke Satan for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. When I hear believers saying, I rebuke you, Satan, oh boy. Our prayers are directed to God alone. Do not direct prayers to anywhere, any person, because this unleashes all kinds of supernatural activity. We pray to God. We do not pray or discuss or command or do... Oh boy, sometimes I just get a little carried away with this because I want it done biblically. Okay? Careful. The Bible nowhere, never tells us to rebuke Satan. Okay? Just clearing some things up. We pray... To God alone. Jesus taught us to pray. Father, the Bible does not give Christians the authority to rebuke the devil, but to re- resist him. We'll talk about more of that when we close in just a moment. Warfare prayer may use phrases like, I plead the blood over this, or Lord, cover them with the blood of Christ. Now understand, the Bible nowhere tells us to plead or do The blood of Jesus. Nowhere. Okay? Now understand, while that doesn't make the phrases necessarily unbiblical, I like to make a choice to stay with what Scripture says. And where it doesn't, why? So I often, I plead the blood of Jesus over this. I I I really don't have much understanding of what that actually means. Uh, the blood of Jesus, yeah, it's powerful. Yeah, we do this. At communion, we do, okay, okay. Uh, But the Bible nowhere, nowhere, nowhere tells us to plead or to do these kinds of things. Interesting, isn't it? Because in church, you've been around a while, these are phrases that we use. And again, it doesn't make them necessarily unbiblical. I'm just saying stick to what the Bible says. It's much safer that way. All right, warfare prayer does not mean praying harder, praying 
louder or assuming authority we don't have. It means praying according to Scripture. It means trusting in what God has promised through His Word and submitting our will to His will. That's what we're talking about here. Now, I love people who pray loud and passionately because I'm one of them, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. But some folk I've been with think that the louder you pray, it's like God's got a hearing aid. He's an old guy up there and he can't dial in, right? It's squeaking and squawking. And no, no, he can hear us. He can hear us. You don't need to turn up the volume. You don't need to turn up the volume. Now, sometimes I get emotional when I pray and sometimes it comes out louder. I get that, right? But it doesn't make it more spiritual. Make sense? All right. Now, some warfare praying teaches to bind and loose demons. Uh, I got a problem with this because that, that phraseology comes out of Matthew 16, 19 and Matthew 18, 18, which have absolutely nothing to do with the demonic world. Absolutely nothing to do with the demonic world. I'll, I'll step on some toes with this one. I get that. When Jesus spoke of binding and loosing, he wasn't talking at all about spiritual warfare in those two passages of Scripture. It has nothing to do with spiritual warfare. Read them again. Read them again. The New Testament clearly teaches that Jesus' followers have been given the authority in the name of Jesus to actually command demons to cease their influence, uh, to leave the premises, but they do that through Jesus, not commanding the demons to do that, but Jesus' command to do that. It's all different mindset. However, at no time in the New Testament does Jesus, Paul, or anyone else ever bind or loose a demon. You don't find that in the Bible. That's phraseology that we've kind of adopted. In, in first century Jewish culture, binding and loosing referred to things, not people. It was always things. That's the basis of the word. And never demons. We must always be on guard against trends in Christianity that, that sound good, but may or may not be scriptural. I'm just saying stick to what the Bible says. And nowhere in the Bible do you find Jesus binding or loosing demons, or Paul, or anybody else. So use what the Bible says to use. And words are important. They're very important in these kind of scenarios. All right, I got one more verse for you, and then I'm going to be quiet. What questions, comments do you have? Anybody really offended? I'm not offended, but I'm confused. Yeah. Hold on, Sinbo, we'll get you. Good. This is great. I'm a little confused about the last point. Yep. Because I've always been taught that you can pray to bind a, a spirit or an evil spirit or any, um, and there are passages where Jesus gave the disciples authority to, right, to rebuke spirits and whatnot. So, I'm a little confused as to how that prayer should go and how the word should be because I was taught otherwise. Good, and I think that's very valid. I knew this would happen. Uh, that's why I'm saying make sure that we're using the Bible, of course, as the basis for everything that we do, right? Jesus did not bind or loose demonic forces. We have been taught, and I've been on the teaching end of those kinds of things too. I've sat under sermons with the same kind of deal that, that we bind and loose. I think it's more than semantical though. I think we have to be very, very careful of what we're doing. 
because in the supernatural realm, uh, a, a demon outside of God's grace can wipe us out like that. And this whole idea of the supernatural world is kind of foreign to us. And so we can formulate things. Like if I just say the words right, I, I bind you, whatever, in the name of Jesus. Well, number one, I can't bind anything. Right? Now, Jesus has given us authority over the demonic world. Would you agree with that? Everybody agree with that? That the believer in Christ, in fact, we're going to get to that in just a moment when we look at this last verse, the authority that we do have in Christ. But what authority did Jesus give us over the demonic? Why can't I simply pray, Satan be bound in the name of Jesus, leave the earth for all time? Did it just happen? I don't think so. I guarantee you there's demonic influence on the periphery of this room right now. I can pray, I bind you in the name of Jesus. You think they left? Not really. Huh. But I have authority in the name of Jesus. Why didn't they leave? Why can't I bind any demonic influence from my family right now forevermore? We'll come to that. Don't read the notes ahead. But, but you understand, Sandoval, what I'm saying? Why wouldn't we just do this and it be done if we have that authority? Okay, okay, we all agree that God has the authority, right? Why doesn't God do it? Can God bind Satan? Will God bind Satan? Revelation 20 makes that very, very clear. Satan will be bound. Not, not for a thousand years, right? The millennium, right? And so, absolutely, Satan will be bound. Now, the idea of bind, of the, the terminology, that, that's what I'm concerned with. This binding and loosing. Satan will be bound because God is all-powerful. We agree with that? Why doesn't God bind Satan right now? You're telling me that Satan has to submit to God. That's right. Exactly right. Absolutely. Who's in control of all this? Nothing's out of control, folks. So why doesn't God do that right now? Why doesn't he end all this misery and all the demonic influence and all the evil in our world? Can he do that? Why doesn't he? He uses it to draw us closer to himself. I guarantee you, if we had no discomfort in our life, I would never count it all joy whenever I face trials of many kinds, knowing that testing my faith leads to perseverance and perseverance to maturity. I'm never going to grow unless I got evil pushing me, pushing me to make choices that I choose Jesus again, that I choose Jesus again, that I choose Jesus again. That makes sense to you? These are great questions. Yes? vivid um, nightmares like uh, where I'm sitting in church and a demon tells me I'm going to hell no matter what and he starts to foam and I'm like but God has a plan for me and he says doesn't matter so I started to plead the blood of Christ over myself Mm -hmm. and sometimes I'll still have nightmares but sometimes I don't so like what do you suggest in those because I'm usually attacked at night okay 
Uh, how many of you uh, have been plagued by nightmares in the past, and you just sense they're really evil? Yeah. Yeah. You see all the hands going up? Yeah. You're not alone. Absolutely. Now, what I'm saying, thank you, that's an excellent, excellent question. What I am saying is this. I don't want to formulate our dealing with the supernatural world into a few phrases. Because if the Bible doesn't say plead the blood, it nowhere says that. Right. We've been taught that. I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong, but I'm saying there are ways in Scripture uh, that we are to use. So why don't I focus on those rather than, than pleading the blood? Okay, we're going to move on because I'm coming to that. How do we, in fact, resist the devil? And I'm not saying what you've been taught is wrong. I'm just saying stick to Scripture. That's my heart in all of this. The teaching was spot on. We want to uh, uh, control. Can we push back against the enemy? Yes, we can. And we have the authority to do that in the name of Jesus. Okay? So stay tuned. Let's, let's see if I can unpack this. Just for a minute, we'll quit. But these are great questions, all right? One final verse. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James 4, 7, right? Submit yourselves to God. Say that. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, don't read it. Say it now, because this is an important verse. We're talking about praying the scripture and praying the supernatural into the natural. You've got to put the verse right here. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. And what's he got to do? <laughs> so what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, let's look at this and we'll quit. I promise. The verb submit is found all over the New Testament. Very, very common verb. It means to voluntarily, voluntarily arrange oneself beneath. It's a military term. If you have any contact with the military, you know there's a very structured organization, correct? And you have to fit into your place. And you choose to voluntarily place yourself beneath a higher rank, correct? That's where the term comes from. Jesus did it as a boy to his parents. Luke 2.51, same verb that's used. We are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.21, why submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Ephesians 5.22, a slave is to submit himself to his master in Titus 2.9. A believer to your government in Romans 13.1, submit to the government over you. All the same verb. And here, the believer is to submit to God. Submit yourself to God. Say that again. Okay. A disobedient or unsubmissive believer will not be victorious. That I can promise you. We have stepped out of the authority and the protection of God, and we're now doing it on our own. And so a disobedient or unsubmissive believer is out of the will of God, and therefore resisting the devil is going to be absolutely impossible. We have to do this first, first, first. So what happens when a Jesus follower chooses to submit themselves to God? All kinds of things happen spiritually. 
We were once under the lordship of Satan. Now it's the lordship of Jesus. Just soon be in that camp. We were once an enemy of God called a slave of sin. Now we are a friend of God and a loyal subject of the king of kings. I just soon be in that camp. We were rescued from the dominion of darkness. We are now a part of the kingdom of light, scripture says. This must Come first. This must happen continually. Daily, Jesus said. If any of you would follow me, let him deny himself, take up your cross, and follow me. Submission to God has to come again and again and again and again, decision by decision. Submit yourself to God. This isn't a one and done proposition, folks. This is a lifestyle of living a submitted life to the Lordship of Jesus. Okay? So, the other side of that same coin contains the promise. Resist the devil, and what will happen? He will flee from you, James writes. Now this breaks down to some bite-sized pieces. We are to resist, never rebuke the devil. We are to resist him, not rebuke. Now, this verb means to stand against or oppose. It is an interesting verb because it's war. Paul says, stand firm. Stand firm. Be bold. Now, resistance can happen in two ways. As we resist the devil, he will flee from us. The first is defensive, right? Flee. There is a time to run away from evil. Scripture makes that very clear. There are times I know that I am pressed to the max. I am tempted. My back's against the wall. The smartest thing I could do is run. Run. It's spiritual. Sometimes we got to run. Flee temptation, Paul would say. You've got to have wisdom to know when to stand, when to pick your battles, when to fight, and when to flee. There's nothing wrong with running. The war's over. I'm just going to regather the forces, and we're going to come at this again when I'm ready. When God's ready, we're ready together. Then we'll do battle. Smart Jesus followers know when to run. Okay? The second is offensive. Who are we to resist? Resist? Who's the devil? Satan? Okay. The word devil, diabolos, means slander or accuser. One of the most common names for Satan in Scripture, and by extension his workers, called demons. Very familiar. Now the word devil is a compound of two Greek words. The first is a preposition, dia. And the second is a verb, balo. Put these together. It gets kind of interesting. The preposition dia in Greek means through. Through. So the picture is, I'm going to take a target, I'm going to take an arrow, and I'm going to shoot it at that target. The arrow is not just going to stick in the target. It's going to penetrate all the way through from one side to the other. That's what the preposition dia means, to go through, to penetrate all the way through. Now, the second part of that is a verb. It's balo. Balo means to throw. It's me picking up a baseball and throwing it, right? So let's put these together just for a moment. When the two words join up, 
It would then mean to repetitiously throw something, striking it again and again and again until the object being struck has finally been penetrated. Now, can we understand why this word is such a vivid job description for the devil and his minions? That's exactly the way he operates. He comes to assault the mind, the emotions, our body, again and again and again. Be alert. The devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's coming again and again and again. He knows our weaknesses through observation. And once the devil has gained access into our mind, and believe me, that's where the battle is. The battle is for your mind. The battle is for my mind. It's not for our soul. It's for our mind. The soul is a result of what happens in the battle for the mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That's where the battle is constantly. It's for our mind. Once we begin to make decisions based on what we believe is truth, that will affect our soul. So the battle for you and for me right now is for our mind. I just want to make that extremely clear. The rest of the ramifications are all a result of that battle. Now, once he begins to strike again and again and again, penetrating, attempting to penetrate our mind, and if he's successful and does penetrate our mind, he begins to pile lies on top of lies. And that's the way that he operates. He is the father of lies, the scripture declare him to be, right? And so uh, we start, if we listen long enough to those lies, we start to believe them. And we begin believing a lie about who God is, how God operates, and what he can do. We start believing these lies as truth once he's penetrated our mind. Now... The enemy can successfully build what the Bible says is a stronghold in our lives in which he can begin to control and manipulate and have his way in us, in our marriage, in our family, because we're believing lies about who God is and what he can do. That sound familiar to anybody here other than me? Huh? Good. Some of you are smirking and nodding. That's good, right? Because that's the way he's operating in every single person seated in this room right now. He is punching, punching, punching your brain, attempting to get you to turn from the truth, to believe a lie that then becomes the truth. Now he's got us right where he wants us. But just as the devil left Jesus after he was tempted, he must flee from all who resist him. I don't want to jump to this too quick. We say, oh yeah, let's get to the victory side. Come on, come on. We'll just resist that old devil. <laughs> okay. The word flee in Greek. Fugo means to flee or to take flight. Originally, it was used to depict a lawbreaker who flees in terror from the place where he broke the law. He runs away to escape the prosecution process. Rather than stay and face the consequences, he's running for his life. Officer Fickett, have you ever had someone run away from the scene of a crime? A few times. Does it work? Yes. Not when Dustin's on the case, though. No, no, not going to happen. You see, the point is the devil knows he's a lawbreaker. He has broken the law of God. He understands it. He also knows that if a believer stands against him, in other words, if a believer is resisting him, 
by using the God-given authority that we just talked about, that Jesus gave us, and the Word of God, it won't be long until a believer begins to push back against the enemy. Make sense? So how does that look? Well, instead of sticking around trying hopelessly to defend himself, when he's confronted with the name of Jesus, the power and the authority of Jesus used rightfully, and the Word of God, which is Jesus, the devil tucks his tail and runs. That's all he can do. That's all he can do. He's a roaring lion, but he is defeated when we do it God's way. Now, God has equipped us to resist the devil. He has equipped us to resist him and cause him to flee. The Christian can counter the enemy's attacks with the sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. Part of the armor, right? Ephesians 6. So, it's the Word of God. Because the Word of God is truth. And Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Set you free from what? The influence of evil. Absolutely. The reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That is the authority that we have. His work is done. If we properly use the equipment for battle in the way that God intends us to use it. And the final piece is prayer. We pray for strength to resist evil. We actively battle against it. We pray for wisdom in the conflict. God, please give me wisdom in this. Even in, in the, those whole, that whole idea of nightmares, that has been a part of our family existence forever. Nightmares. Honey, what do we, what do, we do with our kids when they were experiencing really terrifying nightmares what did we do yeah we went and prayed over our kids yep and then we taught our kids how to do that themselves in the sense of this is their battle as well it's not just the parents we would involve our kids at a very early age uh in that whole process what are you thinking about when you go to sleep Psalm 16 says, even while we sleep, the Lord gives us his rest and peace, right? What are we thinking about when we go to sleep? If it's the word of God, I can assure you the enemy really doesn't like that at all. Meditating on scripture. So, we pray to resist the devil. We pray for other believers who are going through these same struggles. Pray for all believers everywhere, Paul says. When the church, the body of Christ, when individuals stand united against evil, fully then equipped with the armor of God, we are a formidable foe against the evil one. That's when the promise kicks in. He will flee from you. That is a promise from God. And it's the truth. And it's the truth. But what do we have to do first? We have to submit ourselves to God fully and completely otherwise the devil's not going anywhere he's sticking around he's going to hang on that's where it all begins submitting ourselves to God then we clothe ourselves with the armor of God and I'm convinced when we do this 
we will see the enemy run. We will see God get the glory. And it's available for every one of us. All right, that's enough for today. I can see y'all staring at me like, huh? 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 All right. Michael, why don't you come up? We'll close in just a second. Let me take one or two questions before we, before we close. About what we talked about. Not your commentary on what we talked about, but a question about what we talked about. Yeah, yeah, I better make that clear, Marilyn. (laughs) Every time I think you can't get any better, you do. Well, thank you. Um, I got a lot out of this because I say that, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and again, I'm not saying it's unbiblical or you're a heretic or you're doing everything wrong. Please understand and don't hear what I'm not saying because God's looking at the intent of our heart. That's what he's looking at. And I don't want to make this a semantical kind of game. If you choose to, to plead the blood, just understand what pleading the blood of Jesus actually means. Don't use it as some kind of religious incantation that we say that's the same as any other religion anywhere else in the world. That's the danger of this thing. If we're not grasping the depth of what we're saying and its meaning, that's where it gets really tough. Okay, so what if your really intention is to say there's nothing stronger than the blood of Jesus? Would we all agree with that? There's power in the blood? What can wash away my sin? That's right. So we have this phraseology in Scripture. So I'm not saying it's wrong. Please understand what I'm saying. But understand what you're saying. And why you're saying. Not, again, we, we think as, sometimes as, as Jesus followers, we get into this thing that, okay, if I can just say the right words, everything's going to pop into place. I claim this. I rebuke that. I oh, it's a lot of I stuff in there. A lot of I stuff. We pray to God. He does it through us. I want to make sure the cart and the horse are in the right order, right? I can do nothing apart from him. But with him, I can do all things.